This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, happy election day. It is Tuesday. This is the Sean Spicer Show. Uh, reminder, reminder, so much going on in politics, but Wednesday night, tomorrow night, is that third Republican debate. Five candidates will take the stage. Remember, Mike Pence dropped out. Doug Burgum did not make the stage. It's going to be DeSantis, Haley, Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott, who was on the bubble, just made it in. So five candidates will be on that stage. A lot more to talk about, but Mark Halpern and myself will break down what we call debate prep. We've been doing this last couple of debates. We're going to do it again tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock Eastern. Thursday morning, 9 o'clock Eastern, after the debate, we'll be joined tomorrow by Governor Scott Walker and uh, GOP strategist and presidential campaign veteran Gail Gitcho. We'll all break down what we expect out of the debate. What does it mean that less people will be on the stage? NBC hosting that debate. What do we expect from them? Uh, a lot to break down when that happens. The link is below. You can go to my VIP page, Sean Spicer Show dot com slash VIP, or you can watch and that way you can join and potentially ask a question. That's the live live stream, or you can watch it on this YouTube channel. Um, go and just log on at nine o'clock. We'll run it live. You can watch that whole thing both days. If you're interested in asking a question, go to Sean Spicer show dot com VIP. Uh, we'll also be dropping a little trailer about what we plan on talking about later today. Uh, and as I said, in just a moment, I'm going to break down what's going on in the elections. Uh, and, and a lot more. But I want to get to our discussion today. Ron Johnson is here. You've heard him before on the show. When we launched the show in Milwaukee, he sat down and talked to us. But so much more is happening right now uh, in terms of the investigations um, and politics at large. So uh, you know Ron Johnson. He is the senator from Wisconsin. He defeated Russ Feingold when he first came, he beat him again in a rematch, and then beat uh, Mandela Barnes, lieutenant governor, last cycle because he is an honest truth teller. He is common sense. He has business principles that he's trying to apply and common sense principles to Washington. He's asking the questions that a lot of us are, and he's going against the grain. He's not buying into the whole Washington, D.C. mentality. He was the chairman for a few years of the House of Senate Homeland Security Committee. He is now the ranking member of the sub permanent subcommittee on investigations. And if the Senate goes back into Republican hands, he will become the chairman. And trust me, we will finally get some answers. Without further ado, Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, welcome back to the show. Always good to see you. Uh, I enjoyed our time in Milwaukee, so it's good to now kind of have a change of scenery. Well, it's not quite so hot this time, but it's good to be back on. Good. Hey, um, listen, it's interesting. The polling that came out over the weekend shows that President Trump leading President Biden in all these battleground states, the one that kind of caught my eye was Wisconsin. It's within the margin of error, so no big deal there. Why do you think, considering all the issues that are happening throughout the Midwest, that that was the one state where President Trump isn't leading Biden outside the margin of error? Well, I haven't looked at the internal parts of the polls, but somebody who did look did say that one of the things that stuck out was the whole abortion issue in Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we're, we're still using the 1849 law that was passed the, a year after we became a state. And what I recommended during my campaign was a one-time single-issue referendum where we the people decide. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And uh, we decide the profound moral question, at what point does society have the responsibility to protect life? So I, I, I would like, you know, my fellow Republicans in Wisconsin to embrace that concept and pushing for it. And I think, uh, quite honestly, and anybody who wants to, you know, President Trump, if he wants to win Wisconsin, I think should take a similar type of uh, approach. Let, let know, people decide. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because, I, and I don't know that we'll agree on it, but I will say that the thing that's interesting is I'm sitting here in Virginia today. We have elections in Virginia. Here's my take. I, I hope I am wrong, but I think Republicans in Virginia have misplayed this issue. And let me just give you my take and then you tell me yours. Republicans, every ad in Northern Virginia and probably throughout the Commonwealth is that MAGA extremists fill in the name of Republican candidate is so extreme that they're going to take a woman's right to choose away. Republicans' response is, we're going to agree upon a 15-week ban. Here's my take. Why are we playing defense on abortion when the former governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, a doctor, said that we wait for the baby to come out, we then make it comfortable, and then we make a decision on what to do? That's on tape. That's an audio version of what he said on WTOP. And yet, we're not asking Democrats about their extreme position Republicans in Virginia are playing defense. How do we, as Republicans writ large, address this issue better? Well, again, as you pointed out, the, the extreme position on abortion is from the left. Right. They want to allow abortion right up to the moment of birth and possibly not take care of a baby once they're successfully born. That's the extreme position, which is why, you know, because of Roe v. Wade, we, we pretty well delayed a a real discussion, real debate about abortion for over 50 years. So we don't have an educated public. Uh, people really don't realize what a little baby looks like at eight weeks and 12 weeks and 16 weeks, or even, you know, I think even more important information, what an abortion looks like uh, at eight, 12 and 16 weeks. If, if we provided the public uh, that information, so they were truly educated, my guess is most Americans would tend toward protecting life in a much earlier stage than even current polling suggests. So that's that's all I said. In, in a referendum, let we the people decide. As as Republican, as a pro-life uh, individual, I, I'm willing to accept the decision of the electorate, but after a very well-crafted uh, you know, education campaign from both sides. I, I want to hear from both sides. And Sean, what we're going to do here in my office, I was hoping to hold uh, uh, public events where we bring people in, educate them, have uh, doctors from both sides of the equation, uh, educate the public, and then have sample referendums. It's hard to find doctors who will do that. So we're going to do it as telephone town halls, and we'll certainly provide you the results of those uh, polls. Yeah, see, this is exactly why I think we, we, how we need to address this. If most people understood when life began, um, and I've watched videos where people say, you know, do you think that you should be able to, to uh, abort a baby 24 
days or 24 hours after they're born. And they say, absolutely not. That's murder. Okay, fine. 24 minutes before birth. No, that that's no. 24 days. No. I think that once we can educate people on when there's viability, then that will change the dynamic because most people will support life. I just don't think that we're having that education process as part of the debate. We're picking a random number and no one understands what it means. 15 weeks, how is that different than 20, 26? I think we as a party need to do a better job of having a a more education-based debate and discussion with people so they understand what it means to support life. By the way, my, my idea for referendum really sprang from a few years after Roe v. Wade was decided. I was down in the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, and they have a display. I, I always called it Babies in a Jar. And it literally had, you know, from an egg all the way to the full-term baby uh, every week of, of gestation. And I, I thought at that moment, well, here's a way to decide this public debate, take a long-term study, ask people th- that question. At what point should we start protecting life? My guess would be a lot closer to conception than what even people are talking today if they really take, took a look at this is what a baby looks like at this stage. And yeah. like I said, what an abortion looks like at each stage as well. I agree. All right. Well, see, I just think that me and you need to run the world uh, and it'll be so much easier. I'll let you be president if I can be vice president. I like sort of having I'll, that I'll house. i be my comms director. That, no, I don't want that. I've had that job. <laughs> Um, I do want to switch gears to talk a little bit about Senate business. Uh, let's talk about the funding stuff first. Um, Speaker Mike Johnson is proposing to break out Israel funding from Ukraine funding. He wants to offset the Israel funding with some cuts to the IRS. You're on the finance committee. You've got oversight over the IRS. Where do you come down on how, first, how to break this spending apart and second, the, the offsets? Well, first of all, as Republicans, we have to recognize we have a majority in the House yep. and we're in the minority in the Senate. So from my standpoint, uh, right now, without a Republican president, the leader of the Republican Party and our policy measures is the Speaker of the House. And I think Republicans in the Senate, our job ought to be to support the leader of our party, Speaker Johnson, not undermine him. And so he, what he has laid out is a eminently reasonable proposal. He recognized the reality of the situation. He won't be able to pass with Republican votes a massive supplemental that has all kinds of junk in it. Uh, He wants to get support for Israel, but he also wants to be fiscally conservative and pay for it. So he'll pay for it by reducing slightly the the tens of billions of dollars that the Biden administration wanted passed uh, to harass Americans from the IRS. I think it's a eminently reasonable move. Uh, it's barely going to uh, impact what the IRS can and cannot do. And it actually is a good precedent in terms of paying for the supplemental spending. We, we're $33.5 trillion in debt. That's growing almost exponentially. Uh, we have to recognize we can no longer plunder and mortgage our kids' future. Uh, yeah, I agree. And just for the record, you're not saying this just because it's Speaker Johnson, right? You would Any speaker you would support, it's not it's not a Johnson thing? Precisely, but that that's certainly you know, ways in his favor. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's go to the other side of the equation on the Ukraine funding. There's some senators, some of your colleagues that are, that are trying to weigh down or, or get on board on the Ukraine funding part, but they want as an offset uh, or not as an offset, a commitment to border security. Uh, you've been a big, big advocate of, of border security and, and enforcing our laws. How do you think that plays out on that side of the equation? 
Well, people have made the very legitimate point that President Biden and the Democrats are far more concerned about Ukrainian border security than they are American. We, we've got 6 million people that this administration has, has led into this country, about 1.7 as known gotaways. We don't know who these people are. Uh, we just detected them coming across the border. You, you think there might be a, a, a bad person or two in that group. So we have to secure our border. And I think it's Again, eminently reasonable to expect if we're going to spend, right now they're asking $60 billion for, for Ukraine's border security, we, we ought to make sure that ours is secure. Uh, what Republicans in the Senate are talking about, I, I've seen the, the change in law they're proposing, uh, you know, the outline looks, looks positive. If you had a president who wants to secure the border and would actually follow the law. But unfortunately, we have a president who wants an open border and is generally lawless, just ignores and does not faithfully execute the law. So table stakes here is anything we agree to as Republicans also has to have benchmarks tied to the funding. So we're going to you're not going to get the funding on a month by month basis if you don't basically over a 12 month period ramp down uh, to pretty much a secure border. I think we, we have to insist on that as Republicans. If, if we pass something that we call border security and then the Biden administration simply doesn't follow the law and we don't end up with a secure border, uh, we'll pay the price for that politically. It seems to me that it's it's scary that at a time when we have people uh, over firing rockets into Israel saying death to Israel, death to America, that we're not taking the border more seriously to your point about bad people coming in through the southern border. Well, again, the, the, the Democrats, all they really crave is power. Uh, I think they've let 6 million people in and they push mail-in balloting because yep. they, they want those 6 million people who are very appreciative of being able to escape whatever circumstance they escape from and come into this land of uh, unlimited opportunity. And so, again, they're, they're just trying to change the, the uh, electoral map here, quite honestly. Uh, it's pretty obvious. And so we actually have to be concerned about national security. By the way, by insisting on this, by actually getting true border security with benchmarks, we would be doing President Biden a huge favor. If we wanted to play politics, we'd just sit back and let the border continue to be a Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Disaster. But again, we're patriots. We love this country. We don't want to see any American get hurt by potential terrorists coming through our porous border. So as Republicans, we have to insist on a true border security, uh, on changing the law, but with benchmarks tied to uh, Ukrainian funding. Right. The other benchmark that I think is getting lost in the debate is Biden's own State Department issued this unclassified report about corruption in Ukraine, about where the money was going, how the weapons were getting out of hand. And that that seems to have been lost in the in the discussion for additional funding, that their own administration admits that there's a problem. And yet we're not tying any sense of accountability to this, to, to any additional funding. Yeah, I think the quote I saw from one of the Ukrainian officials or ministers said they're stealing like there's no tomorrow. It doesn't give you, it doesn't give you a great deal of confidence in sending more billions of dollars uh, of money that we're borrowing from our children's future. Uh, you know, there needs to be far greater control over that, uh, uh, better auditing provisions in place. But again, it has to be tied to securing our own border. 
Yeah. Um, I do want to switch gears to, to something that's really in your wheelhouse. You've been leading the effort on investigations, obviously the former chair of the Homeland Security Committee, but now the ranking member on the permanent subcommittee on investigations. The House is doing some some hearings today. They've got Daniel Weiss in front of their uh, the Judiciary Committee today. What should they be asking him and how important is this hearing? Well, they ought to be asking him about all the instances that we've now documented in which the investigation of Hunter Biden was interfered with, that any lead that might have pointed to, to Joe Biden was was blocked. Uh, Senator Grassley has a whistleblower into his office that uh, the, the letter he wrote to Christopher Ray and Mayor Garland is not getting anywhere near the attention it ought to be getting. This whistleblower alleges that the FBI had 40 confidential human sources that had derogatory information on the Bidens. Uh, we know because uh, Senator Grassley both Senator Grassley and I both got an unsolicited briefing from the Foreign Influence Task Force, uh, basically interfering in our election, saying that we are targets of Russian disinformation. Uh, basically, this task force uh, was what my staff calls a catch and kill operation. Uh, find out where derogatory information from, you know, on the Bidens was, and then go label it Russian disinformation and basically shut down any further investigation into it. I mean, th this indicates massive corruption at the highest levels of federal law enforcement, but it's just uh, what's been, what we've been seeing. Now, you go back to James Comey's exoneration of Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, her email scandal and that cast of characters that edited his exoneration email. That was the same cast of characters that were in charge of the crossfire hurricane operation based on the Steele dossier that the FBI knew what primary subsource was somebody they were investigating as a Russian spy. And yet they used that to get FISA warrants. They used that to set up the Mueller special counsel. You fast forward to when the FBI picked up the uh, Hunter Biden laptop from Mr. McIsaac and basically on the way out warned him, you know, it's our experience. People don't talk about these things. Don't get in trouble. Uh, that was their first pre-sabotaging in case the laptop ever became uh public. And it just followed all the way through 2020, including that unsolicited briefing to Senator Grassley and I. So th th this is obvious corruption. It's partisan actions taken by partisan actors inside these federal agencies. It needs to be exposed. But and maybe even greater scandal is the biased media. They refuse to hold both sides equally accountable. We wouldn't have this level of corruption in federal agencies if we had a news media that actually was a watchdog. As, as, as I said, nonpartisan, holding both sides equally accountable. So when the House has this hearing today with David Weiss, the special counsel that's looking into to, to the Bidens, the, the, one of the big things that apparently Jim Jordan wants to get to is whether or not he has the authority to act. Is that something that you think is important for them to really get to the bottom of, or is that a sideshow? Well, no, there's contradictions between what he said and, and Attorney General Merrick Garland. I mean, one, one of them has been lying to Congress. That's an important issue. But again, I think even more important is just tracking down every one of these instances of interference in the uh, investigation. You know, why did he allow the more serious tax evasion charges to lapse? The statute of limitations run out on those things. Again, there are so many questions that I'm sure Chairman Jordan will be asking uh, David Weiss. I can't wait to see the transcript. So let's get back to, you know, one of the things that I've been saying for a while is, and, and I've been told that I'm, I, I didn't, it, I've been saying that I think we need to sort of connect the dots between a lot of the nefarious actions of Hunter and James Biden to Joe Biden. And what some of the folks in this world have said to me is, no, that's not necessarily what bribery is legally. They can do things on his behalf, et cetera, et cetera. 
But for a while, I thought that these new checks were always were going to be the smoking gun. This $40,000 check. Democrats have pushed back and said, no, 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 no. These are just loan repayment checks from Joe Biden uh, or from his brother's and et cetera, back to him from these companies. And they're nothing more than loan repayments. That's it. Where do you come down and how do you explain them? Well, first of all, this just shows if the FBI actually engaged in a serious investigation of the Bidens, we'd already know this. Again, Congress has a difficult time investigating these. We have to issue subpoenas. Those things are challenged in court. The FBI goes into a bank with, you know, with a subpoena or warrant they get to see all the records. It's not that hard to follow financial transactions. You take a look at the bank account where the money came in, and Senator Grassley and I laid that out. You know, all, all that labyrinth of companies that were obviously obviously set up to launder money. You go to that bank account, you find out where the outflows go. You check out those bank accounts and see see where those outflows go. But when it comes to these loans, the question I can't, can't believe nobody else is asking. They're asking about loan repayments, that type of thing, and and interest payments. Why not just check to see was a loan ever made? I mean, I want to see the $40,000 check that Joe Biden made out to James Biden or the $200,000 check. If these are loans to be repaid, okay, show me where you made the loan. Right. Well, that, that, that way I'll see his bank account. And again, the, the FBI could have had this literally in days in investigation years ago, but they were prevented from actually doing a real investigation in terms of what Hunter Biden's wrongdoing, what that might have uh, resulted from a standpoint of Joe Biden's wrongdoing. So one of the things that I've also heard is, you know, Biden has this beach house uh, in Rehoboth. He's done very well for himself on a government salary. Uh, Additions have been built, et cetera. One of the folks that I've heard in this area has said, why aren't investigators talking to the contractors and saying, how did you get paid? Who paid you? Where's the check? to start to see if Hunter or James or any other family member is making payments on Joe Biden's behalf for things that materially benefit him? Well, if, if we would have maintained the majority after 2020, uh, I would still have been chairman of a committee where I could investigate this stuff, and I would have tracked all that stuff down. Unfortunately, we were in the minority in both chambers, and the House had to kind of pick up where Senator Grassley and I left off two years earlier. But it's obvious, you know, there have been reports that Joe Biden apparently made $16 million after he left the vice presidency. Where do he make that money? I don't think his book really did that well in terms of selling for royalties. And he also reported assets worth $3.2 million. So where did the $16 million go? You know, what taxes did you pay on that? No, there are, Sean, there are so many questions I have that I would have been investigating in 2021, 2022. But here we are in 2023. I think, uh, you know, James Comer and, and uh, you know, Jim Jordan are doing a great job, again, filling in the piece of the puzzle that uh, Senator Grassley and I laid out. But again, congressional investigators are hampered. We, we should have the exact same constitutional authority to do investigations. But over time, our oversight uh, capabilities have atrophied. Uh, we haven't done the enforcement, for example, using the sergeant of arms, hauling people in when they're in contempt of Congress. Uh, so as a result, administrations just give us the middle finger. But so that's that's the the nut, the big nut, right? Are we ever going to find out any of this, or is it that Joe Biden will lose or move on and we'll never know? How will we ever know what really happened? Or do you think that Jim Jordan and James Comer have the tools necessary or some way to get to the bottom of this? 
Well, again, I think I think they are, but but it does take time. You know, Senator Grassley and I did not have the support of our conference or of our committees to actually issue subpoenas on this. It was viewed as way too political back in 2020. You know, that's not hampering the the House, but they still have to go through the investigatory steps. They have to build the case to justify the subpoena. So they're doing this step by step. I know it's it's painstaking. I know it's frustrating for the public to see this, but. They've got to build the case brick by brick, and they're doing it. And that's why now James Comer is saying he's going to be issuing a, a flurry of subpoenas because now he knows what he needs to subpoena. Well, he says he's going to subpoena potentially both Biden's brother, James, and Hunter Biden. Is that a good step? Meaning, it, from a look, here's the way I look at this from an impeachment, et cetera, standpoint. If you don't have the public on board that in a way that that they can digest and understand this, then we will maybe go through the motions, but we'll lose the political argument, right? And the question is, is it the right thing to do to be calling these individuals, knowing what we know in terms of how they're going to act and how they're going to answer? Yes. At this I mean, time? Again, I didn't have subpoena power in 2020. So we invited all these, <laughs> all these Bidens and their business association for voluntary interviews. Of course, they declined. You know, had, had I maintained a chairmanship, we would already have these bank records. Again, I'm not second guessing what James Comer is doing. It takes time. You got to build the case, but he's absolutely on the right track here. I think we'll get these bank records. I think it'll show more and more uh, corruption on the part of, of the Biden family. And I think it will definitely include Joe. I mean, $40,000 just happens to be 10% of $400,000 payment. You know, that's for the big guy. I mean, I think this is all pretty obvious. So, so, we have. Let, let me just ask you this. See, this is where I'm. I'm sort of conflicted. Joe Biden, according to all the polls that we we just we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, is losing in all of these swing states, and the biggest hit against him. Seventy one percent of Americans think that he's too old. You can't do anything about that unless you're Benjamin Button. You're going to get older every day. You're going to have more gaffes. You're going to fall down more stairs. And so my question is. Do we allow the process to work itself out, i.e. at the ballot box, and he loses fair and square, he goes away, and we win, we take back the White House, and we move back on track to getting this country moving in the right direction? Or do we go through this process that might give Democrats a reason to unite around something uh, and, and message against us? Well, first of all, we have to get to the truth. That's the right thing to do. That's what Jordan and Comer are doing. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. We have to do that, okay? And, and I support their efforts and probably do impeachment. Regardless of how it occurs, I seriously doubt that Joe Biden will be their presidential candidate. Really? I mean, Demo Democrats crave power way too, way too much. Uh, he's done such an awful job as president. Uh, but it's important to point out, it's not just the Biden administration. This is Democrat governance. So the public can't let the Democrats skate from their awful policies uh, by just letting them throw Biden over the over the over the uh, rail, but that's what they're going to do. I, I really do not think we're going to see a, a rematch between Trump versus Biden. If it's Trump, it's going to be against somebody else. And so I think we ought to be looking at those polls 
know, how does former President Trump stack up against a generic Democrat? Because I think that's what he's going to be facing. Well, it's funny you bring this up. I mean, that poll that came out this weekend shows that he beats Biden. Obviously, he beats Harris, but he loses by nine points to a generic Democrat. And I think you're right. This is what they they're trying to send the smoke signals up, the bat signal, the putting it out. David Axelrod tweeting wasn't by mistake. They were all gathered in Chicago, all the Biden alums, I mean, the Obama alums for this 15-year reunion. They knew that this was, no one would do that unless you were really trying to send a strong signal. So I think you're on to something, right? The question is, from a process standpoint, and this is something that I've really tried to talk about on the show, is that how does it then happen? And I think that's going to be the million-dollar question because Kamala Harris, if Joe Biden gives up power, he wants to hand it to the first black woman. My whole theory was that he always thought that he'd win re-election, quote unquote, and then step down and make her the first black woman. I don't think that can happen anymore. The question now becomes if she's not viable, she's not just going to roll over and say, okay, Gavin Newsom, you're a white dude from California, it's yours. How, who, do, who do the Dems turn to? Yeah, I think they, they have a fight during the convention and they uh, probably lead the convention unified in somebody that will continue to keep them in power. Again, if you had to what, guess, who do you think that unifies was? Unifies Democrats is they crave power, right? And they don't. If you care had to guess, get, though, who would you guess? Give me. I mean, I I, I gotta believe who, right who, now who, that Gavin. Whoever, whoever will be polling the highest is who they'll select. <laughs> the thing that's so funny is, considering I have always said that I thought Pete Buttigieg was their guy, right? Because Buttigieg uh, is quote in in the eyes, and I'm just saying in terms of the Democrats that I talk to, they think he is reasonable, articulate. He's a veteran of Afghanistan, so he fits the bill. And he's gay, so he has enough of the progressive card checked. Whereas Gavin Newsom is a good-looking white dude from California that's heterosexual. I don't, I, And that's where I think that's the flaw there, is they would rather have Gavin Newsom campaigning, but they know that that, that goes against all of the progressive vibes that are there. Sean, it'll be whoever is pulling the best and has the best chance of beating whoever the Republican candidate is. That's who they'll select. Yeah. Um, before we go, I want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in, in America on these college campuses. Uh, I keep telling people I'm shocked, and then people say, I can't believe you're shocked, about where the Democratic Party is right now in terms of its su- support for Hamas. And the idea that that these kids that these demonstrations are happening in cities, that they're defacing monuments and vandalizing. It's like BLM all over again. But the people that they're supporting are killing people that, that they normally support, women and children. The people that they're supporting don't support liberal progressive causes, right? So they're out there campaigning and protesting on the side of people that are antithetical to causes that they support. And maybe that's where I'm just trying to apply logic to an illogical thing. Well, no, it, it makes perfect sense what's happened. Uh, I hope Americans' eyes are being opened to what has been happening on our campuses for decades. Uh, so the master stroke of the left was when they took over our university systems in the 60s during the Vietnam War protests. You know, administrations capitulated, the radical left came in. So now they've had control of our university systems for decades. They control college of education, journalism. Uh, they're graduating fewer teachers and more indoctrinators, which is what critical race theory is all about, the whole issue of transgenderism. Uh, They graduate advocates for the left, not journalists, so they can control our culture. And it's being revealed now in these protests that, you know, they're disturbing. They're more than disturbing. I guess I'm not shocked by it at all. 
Uh, it's it's very it was very predictable what was probably going to be happening here. And again, that that is why the left is so successful. They have they have not only infiltrated our university system, they've infiltrated every institution of this country. Right. You look at the partisan actors in our federal agencies, whether we're talking about healthcare agencies, we're talking about the FBI, DOJ, the intelligence agencies. I mean, you have you have leftist partisan actors infiltrated through all these agencies. And you you know, you were in the Trump administration. Was President Trump ever able to get control of these agencies? I would argue not. I think the agencies were undermining him whenever they possibly could. So last question for you. Uh, right now, the way my math works, West Virginia is a Republican pickup. I think uh, uh, the Ohio is a Republican pickup with the Sherrod Brown seat. I think we've got a few others, Montana, that tester seat, uh, go Republicans way. And then you've got Arizona, Pennsylvania on the potential list. Obviously, Wisconsin's got a race. But I think that you end up back in the majority again. Knowing what you just described just now, meaning that what we have seen with how these federal government agencies operate, et cetera, what changes do you want to make? And, and what are your priorities going to be if we get back in the majority? Well, all you have to do is really look at all the oversight letters I've been writing as chairman of this committee. And I'm laying the foundation for future investigations, future hearings, if I become chairman of the Permanent Subcommittee Investigation, which where I'll have stronger subpoena authority than I had as chairman of the full committee. So you can pretty well, if you, you don't have to guess what I'm, where my, my actions are going to go. I'm, I'm going to take a look at the corruption, the capture, for example, by, by big pharma of our federal health agencies and how that undermined COVID policies and, and uh, resulted in the mandates that uh, you know, were an assault on our freedom. You know, certainly I'll be looking into and, and building off now what uh, uh, Jim Jordan has done in terms of weaponization of the federal government. You know, listen, I've got a personal stake in that. I, I was a target of their operation. Uh, I want to get to the bottom of that. So there, there's, as I said, I'll, I'll be a mosquito in a nudist colony. It'll be a target-rich environment. <laughs> oh, that's a great way to end it. Senator Ron Johnson, always appreciate you being with us and sharing your insight. Thank you. Have a great day. That was uh, a really interesting conversation with Ron Johnson. We have a lot of politicians on the show, as you know. Ron Johnson doesn't mince words. He gets to the bottom of things. He applies and brings a common sense mentality to Washington, which is so needed. He does not always make the most friends because people don't like that. They want to go along to get along. They want to go on their trips and get their appropriation bills. Ron Johnson wants to get things done. He wants to get to the bottom of things. He wants to make Washington operate better. And that's not how most politicians operate. And we should appreciate a guy like him. And I'm so glad that he comes on the show. Anyway, I said at the beginning that this is election day. And I'll tell you a couple of the things that I'm watching. So there are elections throughout the country. We'll break down some of the things tomorrow. There are some county executive races in New York, legislative races in New Jersey. I don't think we expect anything crazy out of them. Some ballot questions in Maine. Um, but they're big ones. So Mississippi, Governor Tate Reeves is up for re-election. Democrats think that they have a chance because they're running one of Elvis Presley's, Elvis Presley's like third cousins. Um, if that's your qualification, I think your priorities are backwards. Um, I, I will be interested at most to see if this materializes at all, but I think Tate Reeves should sail the re-election. In Kentucky, uh, Governor Bashir, Democrat, is up for re-election. He's running against Daniel Cameron, the attorney general there who Trump has endorsed. The thing about Bashir is that he's very popular. 
Trump carried Kentucky by 26 points. This should be normally a slam dunk. He's kind of like the Kentucky version of Joe Manchin, which is he gets his state. He does a good job. There's not a huge amount of complaining there. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think most conservatives would have rather of a Republican, but he has done a good job. And I say that objectively. And so this is going to be a tight race. Cameron has closed the gap at the end. We'll see if it was enough. Uh, so I'll be keeping an eye on that as well. Um, in Ohio, this is going to be a really interesting one. They are trying to, the big thing there is the ballot question, trying to enshrine abortion rights in the Constitution to making it almost impossible to undo it. It's a little tricky because there was a vote in August that tried to change the threshold that failed. So now you only need 50%. You did need 60. They wanted to raise the threshold and that failed. So if they get 50% today, it becomes enshrined in the Constitution. But because now... What was before a no vote, I think, is now a yes vote, meaning that they, the two sides, the pro-life and pro-abortion sides, have flipped. Uh, it's a little confusing for some of the folks to figure out which are they yeses now that they were no's. Um, they fully expect this to pass. How much it passes by is going to be the big question. The 57% supported the, uh, rejected the claim of increasing it to 60% in August. So... They kept it down at 50% to make the change. We'll see how much this passes. That was supposed to be a proxy vote for this. Um, it'll be interesting. Lots of money's getting spent. The pro-abortion side has spent a ton of money. Anyway, back home, local here in Virginia, um, I've told you before, the Democrats control the state Senate 52-48, and Republicans have a two-seat majority in the House of Delegates. This, everything is on the line here. Because Governor Glenn Youngkin, if he can hold the House of Delegates and take the Senate and act a conservative majority and, and all the policies that go with it, uh, it's going to be tight. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm telling you, I have not seen a lot of positive messaging. When I say positive, effective messaging from the Republican side, it has not been good. I wrote an op-ed. I told you about this. I hope I'm wrong. But every single Democrat, when you turn on the television here in Virginia, their ads are cookie cutter. The same ad. MAGA extremist, fill in the candidate name, I said this to Ron Johnson, wants to take away the right to abortion. They'll be the deciding vote. They're always the deciding vote. It's amazing. You see all these same ads from like 10 different candidates and each one of them is the deciding vote. But, and Republicans pushback is, we support a 15 week ban. Why are we on defense? The governor, the former Democratic governor, who's a doctor in Virginia, said on radio, on an audio clip that is available for anybody, we wait for the baby to come out, we make it comfortable, and then we make a decision. That is called murder. And that's the Democratic position. Abortion up to and through birth. And yet Republicans, instead of putting defense, Republic, Democrats on defense and making them defend that extreme position, have said, no, 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 let's just coalesce around. We're not as extreme as they claim we are. We're going to support 15 weeks. There is not a single Democrat in the Commonwealth of Virginia that's on defense. Not a single one. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Republicans take back the state Senate and hope to hold the House of Delegates. But I'm not optimistic as we head forward. I cast my vote a few days ago. Uh, I know there's a lot of excitement here in Northern Virginia, but this is not you know, it'll be interesting to see where in some of these key races, what happens. Uh, in other news, 
Uh, as I mentioned, that debate is Wednesday night. We'll be having debate prep. You saw the link. Hopefully you can sign up. Uh, Trump is going to counter program the debate as he's been doing. Uh, my former deputy press secretary, Sarah Sanders Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is now the governor of Arkansas, is set to endorse him that night. Um, he will obviously do a good job of counter-programming and taking the oxygen out of the, the sales there. Um, interestingly, we talked about this. He was up in court yesterday. Uh, Alina Haba, his attorney, man, she is a pit bull. She came out blasting the judge, the AG, Letitia James. Why exactly am I being paid as an attorney and why exactly are taxpayer dollars being used in this courtroom? The answer is very clear. Because Miss James wants to stand right here like she did this morning and call my client a liar. Call the company fraudulent and make a name for herself. She said this morning that the numbers don't lie and they won't lie in this case. Well, Miss James, I have a message for you. The numbers didn't lie when you ran for governor and that's why you dropped out. I was on radio earlier talking about this with some hosts. Like, th this is political. They're, they So tell me that everything that's happening in New York and New York City, you're going after a year's old evaluation where no one's harmed. Remember that. No one is harmed. The banks got their money back on these loans. Uh, people are employed. They're all paying their taxes. Who's the victim here? And everything else going on in New York, and this is what you're spending tax dollars going after Trump for this? Give me a break. Tell me that this is not a political case. And the attorney general, Letitia James, literally campaigned saying, I'm going to get Trump. And then they say Mar-a-Lago's worth 18 million bucks. Are you nuts? I was just down there last week. I'll take a slice of it for 18 million bucks. I mean, it's just so silly on its face. And his attorney, Alina Hava, came out. What a bulldog. Because this really is, it's not a, 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 a criminal case. This is a public political case. And this is Trump making sure that everybody knows what's happening. Um, tomorrow, we will have um, a full breakdown um, of what happened in the elections. We'll be talking about getting ready for the debate. We'll talk about the Trump cases. So a big show in store for you tomorrow. Um, make sure you subscribe and click that notification button. If you're on Apple Podcasts or if you can go there, please not only subscribe, give us a five-star review so you get all those notifications. You can, as I said earlier, you can join my community, seanspicershow.com slash VIP to be part of the discussion. I have Q and A's every week. I'd love you to be part of them. Uh, and you can always text me and ask questions at 571-441-4991. Thanks for being part of the show. Big show in store for you tomorrow. So we'll see you right back here on the Sean Spicer Show. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.